Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, Fan Sided, Daily DDT. My man, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. How about yourself, brother? Doing good, man. Can't complain. Uh, we got a very special guest in the building. My man, Peter Rosenberg from Hot 97, Cheap Heat, One F is Life, Michael K. Show, Yes Network, WWE Network, Rosenberg Radio, and most importantly, Graham, former 24-7 champion. <laughs> yes, sir. That is the number. That is the... that. Listen, when I, when I sign a signature for anyone, that is the only thing that makes the cut. <laughs> Every... From the moment... It happened. I promised myself. I said, oh, I now have something for signatures. And so I always write 24-7. And I figure one day, if the well dries up, I can also show up to like a WrestleCon somewhere and uh, find uh, the pictures as a 24-7 champion. Well, well, listen, Peter, Graham is a big, uh, avid, um, he has a, Intercontinental Championship belt with everybody who's ever been champion. He's 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 had photograph <laughs> just about them everybody. So if you're at a WrestleCon sometime, he might buy a replica twenty four seven champion. I might two hundred people to sign the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you you still have a they, they give you a replica to to have at home, right? No, no, I bought one though. I, I there was there was a sale one day on the website, and I was like. Oh, I wonder if this will be gone sometime. I better get this because at some point, whenever I whenever we finish our um, living quarters, I definitely want to like frame it and put the picture up and have it be like a thing in my man cave. But like uh, right now, it's kind of it's just sitting there in the case right now. It hasn't done anything. Yeah, nice. Uh, you can follow Graham Matthews on Twitter at Wrestle Ranch and find myself Randy J Cruz R E N D Y Letter J. C-R-U-Z on both IG and Twitter. Follow Peter Rosenberg on basically everywhere, Twitter, IG, and TikTok at Rosenberg Radio. Um, so, Peter, this is the Wrestling Basement Podcast, a podcast that we do that really kind of focuses on the throwback retro period, some topics, some anniversaries coming up down, down, uh, down the pipeline. So coming up uh, pretty soon is the 25th anniversary of Stone Cold Steve Austin's uh, first world title reign beginning at WrestleMania 14. Um, and I, I, I joke with Graham a lot because <laughs> he wasn't pretty much around at that time. He wasn't, I don't think you were alive in there, uh, Graham, right? At that, at that point, no? 98? No, I was born in 95, so I was three, but I wasn't oh, watching wrestling. Oh, you was three. You was one. three. All right. Yeah, so three years old. I just wasn't watching the show. And, you know, me and Peter were really... I mean, I'm younger than Peter, but I was around watching it live every day, flipping through Nitro and Raw. So, Peter, I start. I start with this: when when you when you hear WrestleMania 14, uh, it's, it's kind of like a weird spot to be in because it's the the culmination of one era and the beginning of another at the same time. So, it may not be the greatest WrestleMania of all time, or probably in the upper echelon. But when you hear WrestleMania 14, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Um, Mike Tyson. If I'm being if I'm being honest, that's probably the first thing that pops in my mind. Um, it, as important as it was for Austin, and I should also note that one of the true embarrassing facts of my life is I was actually very out on wrestling at this time. So, like in '98, when I was in, I was a mania night. Yeah, I was a freshman. That was my freshman year in college, and I was just knee deep in radio and trying to DJ and. My my friends across the hall were watching the Monday Night Wars, and I would like pop in every once in a while for a second, and I'd watch them be like, "Oh, it's so cool, he's tight." Oh, blah, blah. but I was not in, you know. So I've always Sam Roberts always bucked my balls about that that I was out for the best time. Um, but I've more than caught up uh, many times over. 
And yeah, for me, it's always going to be about Tyson there because I think that it's the singular thing that pushed the WWE over the top in the war with WCW. Um, and as big, obviously, Austin to me is the face of that entire time. But that specific moment and not just Mania, the fact that they were able to get Tyson for a bunch of appearances. I don't know how many it was total, but a bunch, a handful of appearances in that stretch from the Rumble. You know, they showed him in the suite with Shane at the Rumble and then utilized him all throughout that. Like, like Grant, for someone your age, you can't even really understand the level of over Tyson was at that time in the public. Like, he got a reaction from every single human being walking the planet, either love or hatred or fear or something. But he connoted that feeling from everyone. So them having him was so big. And then, uh, of course, you know, it's it's kind of the most memorable thing about the match. Like, the, match is, the match is cool. Um, I don't consider it to be an absolutely iconic match. I consider it to be a really good match. And culmination of Stone Cold build, and then the goodbye to Shawn Michaels. Like, there's a lot of key things there, but I just think uh-huh. it's, it's that Tyson involvement that makes it chef's kiss. Right. So I got one before I let you go. Um, I did I did the tweet back in January. It was the 25th, 25th anniversary of the Tyson Stone Cold segment on Raw. And I remember you quote tweeting me saying um, it's probably the most important segment of the last 25 years. Um, I've heard Eric Bischoff on numerous podcasts say that, you know, once he saw that element, he was like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. Um, The Tyson involvement, he felt it was like we got to step our game up because he was the hottest person even outside of boxing. And now you implement him with the hottest superstar in, in, in the, 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 uh, WF at, at, at the time. It's like, holy shit, it's going to be a fucking marriage made in heaven. Um, does the Stone Cold character in your mind blow up as much as it did, let's say, if there is no Mike Tyson involvement at that time? Peter. Um... I, th- I think at some point he's st- he's still he's st- listen he was still blowing up he was still hot at that time very hot so it's not a matter of whether he would have or not because he already was it's a matter of what level it would have gotten to in terms of like crossover appeal I think he would have been the most over guy in WWE no matter what but would he have been a guy that the non hardcore fan recognizes I don't know that's that sort of where the Tyson factor was so big. It got on Sports Center, you know, like the, they were showing press conference clips on Sports Center. Like it just, it just elevated it all. But that's not to take anything away from Steve. I mean, at this point, I really basically think of Steve as, as like the goat. I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable argument to make that he's absolutely number one. Um, obviously, I waver on that all the time. It was Ric Flair's birthday yesterday. He's the goat. But, but I think really, Austin's legitimately in that three or four person conversation for the greatest to ever do it. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from the fact that he did that all on his own. Right. G go ahead. So you guys talk about like the impact that Tyson had on the product at that time, this match and stuff like that. And you talk about like how modern day fans may never truly understand unless you were there or like growing up at that period, knowing the influence that Tyson had his popularity, stuff like that. I asked the both of you, if that was done today, obviously not with current day Tyson, but what do you think it would take to have that sort of impact on today's product 
and like what the star would be that would be like the modern day Mike Tyson to have that same impact on the company today? That's a great question. Um, and funny because, and by the way, I want you to know, as I'm finishing my breakfast, these are Montreal bagels that I bought last week at the <laughs> Dude, the Montreal, I was there last week. Those bagels were great. I got, are you talking about the place that was across from the arena over there? No, or no? I went to, a, I, I picked a random place that was like five blocks from there. Um, okay. I, I had two different places, but was it your first time? It was my first time in Montreal and I only had one bagel when I was there. My buddy was like, oh, it's, they don't like, it's, it's not as like big as it is in the U.S. I'm like, I don't know. These are fucking good to me, no, but that's just they're, they're so I don't know what makes them different, but they're so good. Anyway, <laughs> so good. I just want you to know there's a wrestling tie-in to this brunch, yeah. Sunday brunch. But um, it's funny be, you, you say that because at this time, the WWE has incredible involvement from the biggest current musical act in the world, essentially. You know, yeah. I mean... Maybe there's a case that Beyonce or Taylor Swift are bigger, but like Bad Bunny is a top three or four music artist in the world. He's he has matches, appears in the Royal Rumble, like he wrestles. Okay, <laughs> Facts. then they have the involvement of Logan Paul in a real way, who is among the absolute elite of social media influence. This new version of celebrity that didn't exist back then. Both of them are tremendous gets, and by the way, tremendous athletes, and I love that they're here. And neither of them even remotely approximate the impact of Mike Tyson. So, like, I don't know. I mean, LeBron James? LeBron Maybe. James announces he's leaving and says, I'm going to do a run in WWE. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose that would probably do it. You know, Steph Curry? Like, it would have to be... <laughs> It would have to be people at sure. like because every other boxer they've done, Floyd wasn't close to it. Tyson Fury doesn't come close to it, even though it's mm-hmm. cool, it's fun. It's not that. There were the Shaq rumors forever, which would have been fun and novelty, but not not this. So no, there's really no apples to apples comp for like honestly, it's it goes beyond wrestling. And I'm a huge Tyson fan, as you can tell, but like Tyson the, the role he occupied in society and pop culture and our psyche in general beyond wrestling has not been duplicated since. He's just, it's, it's his own thing of what he sort of occupied in. I mean, it's the only athlete I remember that the entire country gathered around to watch his fights. Like it was like, what are you doing Saturday for the fight? The truth is that now, even through the Mayweather era, that really only happened amongst boxing fans. Back then, it was regular people were going to a party to watch Tyson fight. It was yeah, that kind of a thing. So, yeah, it was a special time in general. Quick follow up: If it was five years ago, or maybe six or seven, I guess at this point, depending on how I don't know when his peak was, would maybe not be the equivalent. But would Conor McGregor at all come close? You would think if they brought him in when he was at his peak, McGregor would have definitely been big. I don't think it would have approximated that because I think the yeah. MMA is. As big as MMA is, it's still niche relative to what boxing was in the 90s. True. Which was, like, still very mainstream. You know, like, I only have specific friends who watch MMA. I don't – it's not like all my friends are like, oh, there's a Dustin Poirier fight? Like, that's not (laughs) happening. So – but he was the most over, you know. So – and and let's be real. You know what the closest we got to it? The closest we got to it was that ridiculous Mayweather-McGregor fight. 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ago, it took yeah. getting the biggest of one and the biggest of another, slamming them together in this car wreck clown show. And that sort of garnered close to the mainstream attention that something with Tyson would have. Yeah, sure. And I, to, for me, I think the main difference of, of now and back then, obviously, the fact that Vince brought in Tyson, like at that time, you would say WCW was bigger and better than McMahon at, at that time. So he needed a shot in the arm to compete with that. Now they can bring in McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, God knows anybody, but it's not like they're competing with nobody else. Now I feel like, all right, they they had the juice to do that back then. It's like I need something to compete because over over there they were getting Jay Leno, they were getting Dennis Rodman, they were getting Carmelo. It was like, yo, what the fuck do I do? I got to go get somebody bigger and better. And Tyson was the only viable option. So McMahon came from like in defense mode back in '98. Now with him, a hundred now can bring somebody in. But it's like, do I really do, do I really need them? That's I think that's the major difference. Yeah, that too. I mean, it's it's a different situation. I mean, if AEW were to make a real run somehow and, and press them, then then I'm sure it would be different. But I just don't think we as a culture, celebrity isn't what it was then. Celebrity is has changed. Like influencers and all this social media stuff has changed the way celebrities are even thought of. Like, what is right. an actual celebrity? Everyone is sort of a celebrity. So the ones that really move the needle, I mean, listen, get yeah, get Meghan Markle to come do a, a, a segment. You know, like, <laughs> there aren't that many, Beyonce, there aren't that many names that really turn, literally will turn a TV on. Like, I'm going to watch this thing because so-and-so is appearing. It's just yeah. there are not that many people who do that. I follow them. I see mm-hmm. their random stuff when it pops up on my feed, but I'm going to go watch a wrestling program that I wouldn't normally watch because I need to see them. That's that's few and far between. Mm. Um, Stone Cold at this time is kind of involved with like the 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 unanswered question of when did the attitude ever really begin? Um, there's four to five moments that are out there that you could say that could be it, that could be it, that could be it. But to you, Peter. Um, there's obviously the King of the Ring speech. There's McMahon going on on Raw saying, we, we, you know, we're going to change things up. There is him against Brett at 13. There's him winning at 14. Um, and there's even Montreal. So if you had to say this is the definitive beginning of the Attitude Era, where would you put that spot? Well, I would say the beginning of Austin in a real way is the blood from a stone moment against Brett. At Mania, that's the Austin moment. I mean, obviously, the very beginning, of course, is King of the Ring and Jake, but he really being solidified is passing out from in the Sharpshooter. But to me, the actual beginning of the Attitude Era is the night after the Screw Job, like the, the 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 true origin story of Mr. McMahon. To me, is the beginning of of really that chapter. So even though Austin was the star of it, Brett was actually the catalyst for it, Um, which is interesting because he's so not an Attitude Era guy in so many ways. He didn't fit in in a lot of ways, as we know. And Owen was obviously sort of lost there because he wasn't very much an Attitude Era kind of guy. So, But I really do think it starts with the screw job. And then because Austin had already built his character, been building, he was just in the perfect spot to end up getting to be the foil for Vince McMahon and, and magic follows. Mm, G. 
What's the role that Shawn Michaels plays here for you guys? Because I know we talk a lot about Tyson and Steve Austin and stuff like that. This was his last match for, what, four and a half years before he retired. I mean, obviously it makes an impact that he's in there because he's sort of passing the torch to the top, new top guy with Shawn Michaels bowing out and whatnot. Does it matter that Shawn is in that role? Could it be someone like, I don't know, whoever else? I mean, I guess you could really put any name in that spot at that point. Does it matter that Shawn is in there to make the match what it was? I mean, obviously they had their match at King of the Ring the year prior. I think that's an arguably better match than this one as far as like bell to bell, but this one's bigger because it's Mania. Mike Tyson's involved. But what role for you guys does Shawn Michaels play in this match? Uh, no, I think it's I think it's super important that 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 Shawn. I mean, Shawn is really one of the faces of the sort of uh attitude era 1.0. You know, obviously mm-hmm. the next night when he's gone now, we get the the new DX and things go to a whole different place. But his specific sort of, um, you know, playgirl, annoying, bratty, trash-talking, um, really sort of, and as we know now, kind of based on what he said, not too far off from reality version of who he was at that time. <laughs> True. Know, yeah. That attitude, he is some of the attitude of the Attitude Era. Like, you, I think that is an indelible part of it, that, like, Sean's attitude, because... Hunter was part of it too, but at that point, Hunter's the one looking up to Sean. You know, Sean's the guy who is really setting the tone of what things are going to be like. Um, so I do. I think it being him is 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 super important. I don't know who it would have been against. I mean, I don't think Triple H wasn't ready yet for that to be his spot. Yeah, I was just thinking in my mind, like who else would it have been at that point? Yeah, I think Triple H is the only person you think of, but in reality, Triple H didn't become that guy until after Sean left, where he was truly yeah, the man. well after yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know who it would have been, honestly. That that he really was the guy for it. So yeah. it's perfect because you don't think of Sean and Austin being like all time great rivals or anything, yeah. but they really did both need each other in that spot. And listen, I agree because even The Rock wasn't The Rock at that time. He was still part of the nation, and um, Brett had left already. Taker was in a program program with Kane. So it's like your options are not really there. And to kind of harp on what, what Graham said, um, this is probably one of, one of the few angles that Stone Cold was in that didn't really, to my knowledge, didn't really involve McMahon. It was really about Sean, DX, and Tyson. So how – how important was the DX factor? Because this is pre, this is pre 2.0 DX. This is early DX that some people, some might even say is not as good as the reformation of DX. So this is China, Rick Rude. This is Shawn Michaels and Hunter. How, how, how much credit are we giving to DX in this time frame to go along with Stone Cold? I mean, maybe. It's it's sort of one and one a. I mean, they're they're really really critical to the whole thing because you know Austin both represent sort of the attitude part of the attitude era, but right. kinds of attitude. You know, Austin is like the the attitude of like I'm fed up, I'm tired of working for the man. I'm giving him the middle finger. I'm doing what I want. If you get in my way, you're catching it too. And people identified and 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 love that. DX obviously brought a different sort of snarky, obnoxious, crass, crude. Um, we're just willing to push the boundaries. You know, they brought a different element of attitude to the Attitude Era. 
Um, I think Austin is the most memorable piece from that time. But the truth is, when they do retrospectives, I mean, and you think about it from a TV perspective, they show there's a lot of DX stuff that's always going to get shown. I mean, it was, yeah, you know, and listen, maybe part of that is because, like, you know, to the victor goes the spoils, and um, history has been on the side of DX generally. But I think regardless of that, they're super, super impactful and part of everything that transpired at that time. G. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this Mania, too, Randy and I were discussing this before we hit record here, but looking at that Mania as a whole, I mean, that's obviously the central attraction of the show. I mean, Taker and Kane as well, obviously, in the build kind of encompassing. That was one of the bigger parts of the build of this Mania. You look at, like, the Attitude Era WrestleManias, and it kind of follows a theme where, like, 15, it's Rock and Austin. I mean, as someone who, coming from a different generation than both of you guys, just looking at it like, okay, that was the match. There's not much else beyond that. 2000, kind of the same thing. 17 was the only exception around that point. Um, was this kind of like, I, to put it simply, is this WrestleMania rated, overrated, underrated? Because this match carries the show. And then Taker and Kane as well, the story itself, not like the match itself, I guess. But is the show at all underrated Because just because it's an Attitude Era pay-per-view that automatically makes it better? Just talk about that as far as the show overall a little bit. That's an interesting that's an interesting question, like where it's actually rated, because in some ways I think of it as rated so highly because of the amount of conversation that goes around the main event. Um, But then when you really look at the card up and down, you know, (laughs) it's got fun things on there, but it certainly doesn't scream, you know. Mark Mero versus Goldust doesn't scream classic. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, even even the even the Rock beating Shamrock by DQ. I mean, mm-hmm. none of these things are really on the level, uh, so to speak. You know, Triple H and Owen was actually a, a really good match, um, but again, that that should be Triple H and Owen is like a nice mid card, upper mid card match to have. Yeah, on a Mania, so. I don't know. It, it, that's a tough. That's a good question. Maybe it would be slightly overrated because okay. of the Tyson involvement. Because I, I think people think about it a lot, and you see the highlights from it a lot. But if you were to actually get into the ranking of manias, like where does it actually land? If you were to do that, my mm-hmm. thought is it would land lower than it feels like it would, based on how often mm-hmm. you see the highlights from it. And is it sometimes, honestly, like, is it really all a matter of what you get in the main event sometimes? Because really, that's a big reason, the primary reason. I mean, most hardcore fans are going to buy the show regardless, but especially back then. Is that really all you need is a strong main event, a strong build, and, like, a strong finish to that main event, and the rest of the stuff is just the cherry on top? Like, I know, obviously, when you're grading overall WrestleManias, for me, I'm thinking of the overall card and the other bigger matches and stuff like that. But, I mean, maybe it's just changed in the last 25 years, but... Back then, is that really all you need is just a, a great main event that stands the test of time to the reason why we're talking about it 25 years later? That's a that's a really good question. Um, I think to some extent, you know, now now that we're in the two-day era of mania, for however long this is a thing, it seems yeah. like it's a matter – you need to have two, right? It seems like as long as you have one Saturday and as long as you have one Sunday, <clears throat> everything else is basically going to be okay. And, like, mm-hmm. I do think that's true, you know? Um, in terms of like what it needs, truly, if you look at the word needs, but in terms of what we want as a fan, you know, you want there to be like one of the reasons last year was great. 
I thought, for example, was the Sami Zayn jackass moment. Like, it's not always about because I need the card to be like one incredible story after another. What I need is different fun things throughout the show. The variety, yeah. I we needed we needed the Pat McAfee Vince McMahon. We need all the outside people they brought in, put on great shows last year, and made it a better mm-hmm. WrestleMania. Um, right. You know, you wanted um, Bianca and Becky were great, right? Like you need mo- a few great on a big card. You need two or three great matches, and then two or three great moments. But mm-hmm. I think to your point. A mania can certainly survive the, the test of time if it had a marquee main event that was great. You know, I mean, listen, I'm old and my favorite mania is three. And of <laughs> course, a lot is based on Hogan Andre. But yeah. for so many people, like what they love about that mania so much is that you had Steamboat Savage right in the middle yeah. as like the sort of midday main event. And then like. You know, it's funny. It's only a three at three and a half hour card. It feels like it goes on for like twelve days, for better or for worse. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just the feel of that event. But you really do feel like the Savage Steamboat part is like one culmination. And then I think they just have one sort of. I think it may just be one popcorn match that basically between, and then they mm-hmm. come to the main event. It's fairly late in the yeah. day when they got to to that. But the fact that it has two, I think, is what makes everyone go, "Oh, Mania three. I really think what they're talking about is. I, I there were two main events that I remember, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of working this out on the fly. But as mm-hmm. I'm saying it, yeah, I do think actually one will get you over. But if there are two matches you always remember for a mania, I think that really bumps you up high. Everything else, I agree. Is icy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I got a few more before I let you go. Um, I think two very important questions that I want to bring up is the fact that. Yeah, we are in 2023 and people who are fans or who are journalists in the media, um, they know the Attitude Era is the greatest time to be a fan. Um, You've had 5 million, 6 million, 8 million people watching Raw Nitro every single Monday night. Um, But at that time, I wasn't fixated on the wrestling part. it's 50% of that, but 50% is like, how are you going to entertain me? What's the cliffhanger? What's the draw? Who's coming back? And all that to, for me to tune in and watch in the following week. Many people out there tend to downgrade the attitude error for whatever reason, because they feel like Rufus was better. They feel like the PG was error, better wrestling, I would say. But are you, where, where do you land to say that, you know what? I don't care about all that shit. Attitude error is still number one, or I kind of, I kind of agree with what Graham said. WrestleMania 14 is a, is a pivotal WrestleMania, but it may not be the best WrestleMania as far as mat work goes. So are you more like Attitude Era, bar none, number one, I don't care what you say, but or there is a, a degree of relevance saying that they did not have the greatest wrestling, but still it don't matter. Um, I mean, <sighs> listen, the Attitude Era is probably the most fun it probably is consistently the most fun thing to go back and revisit. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, obviously, in some ways, I'm partial to the wrestling of my childhood, um, mm. which you know, which puts me in the late '80s, and it was a, a lot of fun. Even though it's, you know, a totally different product, really much more made for kids product yeah. at that time. But I was a kid, so guess what? It was fantastic. Um, it's funny you know wrestling was kind of meant to work for people who were exactly my age 
like 86, 87, 88, 89, you were a little kid. By the time you grew up to be a teenager, they had grown up to be giving you like older teenage, you know, because let's be yeah. honest, the Attitude Era was truly aimed at what? It's like 17 to 22-year-olds. Like yeah, high school, college kids, yeah. And that was the age of of people my age at that exact time. And then ever since then, it's sort of been a, a mix of both where they've been trying to sort of, for better or for worse, sometimes leading to good things. And I think sometimes some, you know, I think some of the issues of the Cena era are the fact that they were so sort of, what is this supposed to be? Is, is kind mm-hmm. of part of the issue. Um. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm as far as, like, it's Attitude Era and that's it. You know, like, I don't think I'd go that far. Um, and, in fact, I really enjoy the tail end of the Attitude Era and, like, getting into Ruthless Aggression, too. Mm-hmm. Recently, I've been watching a lot of 2002, and it's absolute insanity. I mean, the story, <laughs> the storytelling is not um, great all the time, uh, but the um, the amount of talent there will will never be matched ever in history there's no there is no one who can convince me there will be more talent available than in 2002 when it's literally like hulk hogan still having legitimate awesome matches rock and austin are on tv every single week it's it's undertaker and kane are still are completely in their prime it's it's a what Ric Flair is completely active in the GM. <laughs> By the way, underrated great as the GM. Like yeah. that that run is pretty fun too. So there's a lot of really great times. But yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think anyone's ever gonna argue too too hard against the attitude era being fantastic. So would you say better slash more talent and Rufus aggression and then better storylines for attitude era? Correct. Okay. Attitude Era has the better stories, but if you look the when they when they the, when they took in all the WCW talent, mm-hmm. there's no way to art like you ended up losing some of the. Let's be real. If you go back during the Attitude Era, it's amazing storytelling on the on the A and B and even C storylines maybe, but then a lot right. of the other fill in stuff. There's some talent there that you're like, who was that? <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> the a thing. Whereas when you get to 010203. I mean, it's they have all the ECW. You have Dudleys, you have RVD, you have Booker T. It's just Jericho. It's an endless array yeah. of Hall of Famers. It's it's wild. Mm-hmm. G, yeah, no, I was just gonna say, kind of going off what you said. I guess it's kind of a similar question, but do you think Attitude Era has the most star power of any period? I mean, we're talking '97 through '01 with, like you said, Rock, Austin, Mankind, Triple H, Kane, Taker, all at their prime, and then an '02 has the better talent as far as like in-ring matches at that point is there really much of a difference there you think um i don't think the in-ring product changes a whole lot i I think that some of the attitude dies off the thing is something that's as hot as the attitude era can only stay hot for so long you know it's sort of like in watching the sammy story play out or watching cody after uh what happened in the cell when you're when you're having this a moment, the moment can only sustain momentum for so long. You know, it's just the nature of it. I had like I had a fascinating conversation the other day with uh, that I not on the air, so I can't talk all about it. But mm. with Becky about about characters and how they sort of evolve, and in wrestling, like you're going to be a certain thing for a while, and then it is going to change. I mean, Cena mm-hmm. was over like Rover for like essentially 
a year, two years, and then for the next 12, it was half <laughs> booing, half cheering, all yeah. the way until he became a part-timer who now comes back to huge pops again, essentially. Yeah. It just, there's a time limit on that sort of energy. And the Attitude Era from 97 to like, yeah, 01, was yeah. so hot. Nine million signs in the crowd. Everybody, I mean, it's just everyone's over. Like, you could be someone who's essentially an utter jobber in every other era who was getting what would sound like the biggest pop of the night today back then. Yeah. And by the time you get to 02, now there's an influx of even more talent, but they've been beating the drum of this we're crazy kind of thing for so long that it's been normalized a little bit. And yeah. you also get a little bloated. It's like a little overdone at that point. Like, you know, the NWO stuff, I have a ball watching it because I just think it's so cool that it eventually was in WWE. Like, wow, I can't believe that happened. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's still like a very cheesy, over-the-top version of it, you know? And you have to remember, by the time they did it in WWE, it's it was refreshed and revitalized because it was now in WWE. It had already become complete shit in WCW. Yeah. <laughs> it had been ruined and beaten to death, <laughs> and everyone was in it, and there were nine different versions of it, and it sucked. And then now here we are six months later, whatever it is, let's do it again. And it was still really cool, but all of it had kind of been, there's nothing new under the sun at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I still, but and that's why I think that era gets underrated because the attitude era is so focused on that. Like you forget, and I don't know how I ended up stumbling on some clip of, of Rick as GM. And I just like noticed this little thing. I was like, oh man, Flair changed the way he dressed when he was GM. He doesn't wear the super slick suits. He went a little bit more toned down like he was an actual professional. It was mm -hmm. a little touch that I, I really appreciated. And then I watched him, and he's got Arn Anderson as like his top associate. And he was really good in that role. Like You can tell. I know he doesn't think of himself then as being in a good place, and he lost his confidence, and there's all those. I don't know, man. When I watch that stuff, I'm like, wow, he was actually, and again, he is someone who at that point had gone through a million things and looked crazy mm. at times, had gone through the terrible hair look at that one point in WCW, lost his confidence, blah, blah, blah. And now you see him in 02, and I'm like, wow, this guy was really good. Plus all these other names that had really made – a lot of the Attitude Era names now that we're saying, like, oh, my God, they had Undertaker and Kane at the same time. Okay, and, and they, they were both over. Mm -hmm. But they were – by the time you get to 02 – they're like absolute superstars. It's a different, yeah. you know, American badass taker for whatever you want to say about it. He was big enough at that point to be able to basically change his character completely and still be the man. True. I don't know that he could have done that in 97. You know, mm -hmm. he was still, he was still really, the Ministry of Darkness was a big, this taker was a big part of building that up. So mm -hmm. I'm going around in circles here. It's just wild though to watch. Okay. When you see, the the Hardys, the women. I mean, you have Lita and Trish. You have truly the beginning, the ultimate beginning of the women's revolution happening as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So and then you also have Cena, Batista, Orton, Bray all coming in. I mean, two minutes. Later. Some of the greatest collection of talent of all time. Oh, oh and I'm sorry. Brock. Uh, by the way, Brock, yeah, obviously. How yeah. about Brock? And, and there's a crossover period where you have Rock, Austin, Hogan. Yeah. Brock. Guerrero, 
angle. It's insane. It's truly <laughs> insane. Like it's it's we look today and we go, wow, there's a lot of talent. Like you watch the rumble and be like, wow, there's a lot of people here. That I don't think that's ever getting duplicated. That many no. that many people. It's just too it's ridiculous. Man, yeah. Listen, me, me and G go in circles all the time, so don't, don't, don't feel a certain way. We go back and forth all the time. Well, that's like, usually when you start finding the good stuff, which is why you want to keep circling around it. Because you're like, oh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I want to, I want to mention this point. Um, and I think people need to understand that WrestleMania 14 could have been. We could be having a different conversation if Stone Cold was 100 percent healthy. And Shawn Michaels 100% healthy. For those who don't know, Shawn fucked the backup at, at Rumble 98. And yep. he was in a place where he maybe thought his career was over. He wanted to do the match with Stone Cold. Stone Cold got the whole neck thing with Owen at SummerSlam 97. So it's like you get this big mega main event with two pillars of the Attitude Era and neither one is 100%. And I've seen podcasts and Stone Cold has said it, Shawn has said it like... You know, Stoko said that match sucked because of just how physically he wasn't able to be at 100%, and so was Sean. Sean was even afterwards in the whole press conference and got the attitude, and Shane had to hold him back, and he was still tight that Tyson put the shirt over him when that was not supposed to happen for what I've, for what I've read. So it was a lot going on, but Peter, are we having a different conversation about that match and the mania in general if Stone Cold was like, 1996 Stone Cold at that point, and we're getting the mid 90s Shawn Michaels healthy at that point. Oh yeah, I think the regard for it is is different as a match. Um, although you know, essentially, you never know whose chemistry is going to be what in the ring. I mean, there are great people, incredible talents, who when you saw them together, like, remember when they did a story, it just was never good. Like they just didn't fit. Yeah, you'd like to think that absolute prime healthy version of both of them just put on an absolute banger i don't know that it's a guarantee like when i think about the way they both work i don't picture them fitting together exactly perfectly and that again and that's what makes brett so cool is that brett did fit in perfectly with both mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know like I, maybe maybe but like i think ultimately the tyson piece at the end the quick count the shirt reveal all of that kind of was the money of that match if they even if they'd put on a, a five star classic, I still think for the audience there and the way it would be remembered and shown would be the end of the match. You know, that's kind of how big I think the the presence of Tyson and that whole thing was over it. Um, but maybe it's interesting to think about. You know, and again, you don't know. It, there's a chance that they just n- never would have been guys who had like ultimate classics together. Who knows? Mm-hmm. G. Yeah, no, I completely just kind of echoing your guys' thoughts as far as like it's it's cool to kind of look back at the different generations of talent because that's not even to say the talent roster that we have today is massive. I mean, we have also spread across two different companies at this point between AEW and WWE. Um, just I don't think we'll ever reach a period again where they're all going to be in the same place and there's pros and cons to them being in two different companies and stuff like that. But it makes for great manias, like, I mean, at least great mania moments, like 14. I'm not going to go on the record, like Peter said, and say that it's the greatest mania of all time, because uh, I don't think it is. I think I agree. I think it's probably closer to the bottom. But it's moments like that where 25 years later, we're still talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin becoming a star. And you can only hope that we see stuff like that today. I feel like we've had star-making moments like that in the last 5, 10 years, certain circumstances, whether it be 
you know, the aftermath. I don't know if Drew would not have been the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, mm-hmm. but like his star making moment beating Brock in the main event of Mania ruined by COVID. Um, so we've had a lot of different stuff like probably that Daniel Bryan at 30, right? Yeah. And then the follow up, I mean, he got hurt. So it's like, it's just true. The Steve yeah. Austin thing. Just, it just fucking worked. It just, I don't know. It's, it's a formula. It's a lot of different factors that go into it. Booking crowd time period, mm. uh, pandemics, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's wild to think about 25 years later. Yeah. And even for me, Peter, I listened the, the night after real quick, he, they give him a new belt. And it's like, damn, I never saw a Stone Cold run with the wing eagle belt. I mean, he he held it up at 14 and, and the, the night on Raw, but now you get this big blue and gold belt. It's like, ah, that's like, all right, now we're going away from what we've been accustomed to. And we're, we're doing everything all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, also had WrestleMania 14 was the first WrestleMania that did not have Bret Hart since WrestleMania 2. Wow. That was a run. I know that. <laughs> Bro, That's quite the run, run. There, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. damn. Uh, WrestleMania 14, largest North American gate since WrestleMania 8 at the Hoosier Dome. And 14 was in Boston, right? Boston. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow, kinda, interesting. kind of tells you Tyson's uh, impact. Yeah. And WrestleMania 14 was the last event to use the new generation logo. Interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that really yeah. is another changing the guard moment. Yeah, so everything was flipped upside down. So um, I look at, at 14, like it, it's one of my f- favorite moments because I, I'm a big Stone Cold and big Shawn Michaels fan. So everything was new, different back in the day. But um, I just feel like it, it it has a moment. It ain't top 10. It might be in the 11 through 20 range. But um, I still a very, very significant uh, WrestleMania. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So, Graham, what what'd you learn today, man? Because, you know, me and Peter are kind of, you know, we, we older than you, man. So what what'd you learn today, man? <laughs> well, I mean, I learned a lot just from different perspectives as far as how big the match really. I mean, listen, you and I can talk about it all day. I can, I can, you know, I can hear you talk about it all day. The thing is that I can watch the match all day. You mm-hmm. will not truly know. And I can say the same thing for what we're living. I mean, we all can for what we're watching now. And if we're talking to someone that's 10 years younger than me, 10 years from now, like they won't truly understand unless you were there. I think that's kind of like the biggest thing, especially with wrestling and with moments. You can watch the moment and it's great, but without knowing the build, the circumstances and living through that leading up to it, you know, you don't know how truly impactful, how monumental it is unless you were there. I think it's kind of my top takeaway from all this sort of stuff that we do looking back 25 years later. Last question. Peter, you have Stone Cold on Mount Rushmore, right? Absolutely. And I mentioned this point to Graham last week. I said real quick, that is funny how a weird how the Stone Cold and the Rock had like a good five year window at the top, maybe five year minimum, compared to like your Orton's and Cena Edge Hogan's twenty plus year run. But when I have two guys on my Mount Rushmore who at the top at the pinnacle of their game was a good five, six, seven year window. As I, I, I figured that that was kind of weird to to for me to uh, realize that. Hmm. Wait, say it one more time. That a five, six, seven year window. That is, it's weird. Like uh, most people would have Hogan, Flair, maybe Taker, and because they've been around for so long. Oh, got, it, got it, got it. At the top, but like at the same time, the Rock. But at the same time, yeah. When you really end up looking at each of the greats, Flair is sort of the only one whose window is incredibly long. Like yeah. Hogan's glory 
I mean, listen, Hogan's interesting because he's got two. So he's got yeah. five the first time around, and then he basically gets another five later. You know, but it still ends up being around 10 years total. Like, he's on top of the world basically from 86 to 91, and he's on top of the world again from, like, 96 to 01. You know, right around mm-hmm. there. And that's kind of on the longer end. Um, but it's true. Yeah, like, it doesn't take a super long window to sort of, that's not what it's about. I mean, longevity is an important. Taker is probably the ultimate example of it's like, I don't want to call him a compiler, but it's the fact that he's been around for so long that's that's certainly a factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any more, G, before you wrap up? No, I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much all our bases and then then some. I got to go back and watch some fucking OT wrestling. Now I'm excited. So, that's uh, right. That's right. That was kind of my top takeaway. Uh, <laughs> you got some homework to do, my man. Uh, follow Graham Matthews on Twitter at WrestleRant. Great work for both Bleacher Report and fan-sided Diddy DDT. Find Peter Rosenberg on Twitter, IG, TikTok, at Rosenberg Radio. Again, Hot 97, Cheap Heat Podcast for The Ringer. Uh, one Ep is Life. Catch him on Michael K's show Monday through Friday on the yes network um great work that, uh, that you do everywhere I, I'm, I'm surprised you have time for anything my, my, my guy you you, you you find time how i, I don't know honestly it's, I, <laughs> I i i don't i don't know I, sometimes i don't I, I it's a lot but i'm i'm blessed man all right peter rosenberg thank you man i greatly appreciate it graham matthews i know we'll chop it up soon uh thank you for coming on the show bro thank you peace guys